This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson. Carlson, jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, yes! Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. Big show this week with me as always, Brian Com. Hey Elon, happy Canada Day, happy Independence Day, happy uh, every other day for countries that we're not near. Yeah, no one cares about that. Happy NHL transactions up the wazoo. There's, we went from like having nothing to talk. What did we even talk about last episode? I feel like we're like, oh, Brandon Saad had a really nice end to the to the playoffs. Maybe we should talk a bit about him. And now we're talking about him on a new team. So many moves. Ah, Brian, I I don't even know what to say. Well, yeah, things change so quickly, and here we are through the summer working hard to keep everybody up to date, and Brandon Saad is a good one. I think we'll wait to get to him, Elon, but we were talking about how high his value was going to be going into this year's fantasy draft. Does all that change? Stay tuned. Yeah, also we talked about Phil Kessel just a couple of weeks ago. We had our episode about players who had off years and whether they would bounce back. Throw everything we said there out the window. Or maybe not. I guess we'll discuss it. But yeah, he's on the Penguins, which is a big upgrade. We'll get to all of that. Okay, basically here's the plan for the next few weeks, couple months as a Keeping Carlson listener. We're going to cover what we think are the biggest blockbuster trades today. Then over the course of the next maybe two episodes, we're going to cover all of the other moves that happened, and that should lead us nicely into training camp, hopefully. And we, then we still have our goalie smorgasbord episode, and we'll talk about advanced stats. We're going to talk about how to plan the perfect hockey pool. We'll also drop the Keeping Carlson hockey pool. So lots of news, but okay, Brian, let's get going. The biggest trade I think that happened is it happened right as I was going on vacation and going completely off the grid. So I saw a text from you saying, Phil Kessel got traded to the Penguins and I couldn't even check to see who he was traded before, before I was gone. Holy cow. So the move, there's kind of like no other fantasy relevant players. The Penguins get, aside from Kessel, a draft pick, Tim Erickson, Tyler Biggs. The Leafs get, I don't know, Nick Spalling, I guess. At some point, he was the smallest bit relevant last season when he had a turn playing in the top six. But overall, we're here to talk about Phil Kessel. He had such an off year last year, went from a point-per-game player down to like 60 points. It really wasn't, as we discussed, an off season. It was an off second half of the season when all of the Leafs fell apart. You said just a few episodes ago that you thought that Phil Kessel was a good bounce-back candidate on the Leafs. You said that you think he could go back to being a point-per-game player. Now he'll be playing with Crosby, probably. Worst case, Malkin, not too bad. Hornquist is there. He'll be on that top power play. I could imagine 
imagine like Horkvist, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, Kessel. Oh my goodness. Like this seems like if you're a Kessel owner in a keeper league and you held on, you are thanking your lucky stars right now. Right, Brian? I mean, am I missing anything here or is it all good? No, it's all good news. And like you said, Elon, his value like fluctuated hugely. I mean, he was almost a demigod in Toronto when things were going well. And, you know, that, of course, upped his draft day value when a lot of Leaf fans are playing fantasy hockey and they want him on their team. So September 2014, Phil Kessel, top of the world or close to it. And then he's like rock bottom. He's yesterday's news in April 2015, just at the end of this past season. But like we talked about in our full season slumpers episode, where we fit him in as more of a half season slumper, we were still really high on him and we gave all our reasons for it. Then if you didn't believe us at that point, if all of our reasoning that we offered you still wasn't good enough, I imagine you might now see his move to Pittsburgh as a huge reason that you can easily believe to keep him comfortably inside your top tier of fantasy right-wingers. And of course, you would be totally right to do so. A move to Pittsburgh does nothing to hurt his value and does everything to help his value. Let's just summarize again quickly who Phil Kessel is. Over the last three years, the only right-winger to score more points than Kessel has been Alex Ovechkin. Kessel has also been efficient in making his minutes count, having settled in the top 10 amongst right-wingers in points per 60 minutes. And goals, of course, which are valuable in many leagues, they have been a huge part of that. He ranks amongst the top right-wingers in both goals scored and goals per 60 minutes. And the always infinite kicker next to Phil Kessel's time with the Leaf is that he's done it all while being centered by Tyler Bozak, who should not be a number one center on any NHL team, probably couldn't even be a number two center on several teams around the league. So if Phil could do that with Tyler Bozak, is he going to do all right with Gino or Sid? Yeah, full stop. There's not much more to say. Pittsburgh's top six is now super scary, and there's so many solo scoring threats among them. And the only ripple effect I can see on Pittsburgh right now is that this probably hurts David Perrin quite a bit. Okay, Brian, actually, I'm surprised you say that because when I think of who's going to be in Pittsburgh's top six, I think there's Crosby, Kessel, Hornfist. I'll say that's one line, Malkin, Kunitz. There's still another spot there. I would have thought David Perrin is the guy, unless do you think there's someone else who's going to challenge him? Well, if Pascal Dupuis comes back, he could conceivably take that Mm. spot. There's also Bo Bennett, who I feel like the Penguins might want to give a chance finally, although I thought that for the last six months and been wrong. But I feel like he's grown up through the organization a little bit. It might be time to let him step into a bigger role. And Perrin, I think, was just a really big letdown. He fell so flat, and I'm sure it was not lost on Pittsburgh management. So yes, there are three guys, I guess, that could step into that sixth top six forward spot between Dupuis, Perron, and Bennett. We'll get a better look closer to training camp to see which one, but in any case, Perrin's spot or chances of getting to that spot in the top six are a little bit more watered down with Kessel in the picture. Hmm, but you know, Brian, another way, if you wanted to look at the glass half full, it's like maybe his chances of getting in the top six are lower, but if he does get in the top six, he's guaranteed to be playing with two great players as opposed to before, where he maybe would have been playing with Malkin and then maybe Dupuis, who's aging. Now, you know, maybe he's going to be playing with either Kessel or Hornqvist or Crosby or Malkin, maybe two of those guys. So it's kind of like, I don't know, like maybe David Perrin becomes a riskier draft pick, but maybe he also has more upside. Does that make sense? Kind of, maybe, because Perrin played most of his time with Pittsburgh alongside Crosby and Kunitz. 
Mark Arcobello was the other forward that Perron played with the most, aside from Kunitz and Crosby. And, well, like we know, he just was not able to manage a whole lot, or at least what we expected from him, which were kind of Hornquist-like numbers. We thought he was about as talented as Hornquist, being put into a really offensively charged situation. Didn't happen, couldn't handle it. Yeah, he ended up with only 22 points in 43 games in Pittsburgh, which was, of course, a big letdown for the people who jumped at him, uh, us included in our joint league. When he got traded from Edmonton to Pittsburgh, we thought this was his golden opportunity. He basically did just as well in Pittsburgh as he had been doing in Edmonton that year. And okay, another problem with Perrin now is he's pretty much guaranteed to not be on the top power play. And you know how it is in Pittsburgh. Unless they decide to change something, it's like if you're not on the top power play, you're basically not on the power play because that top unit gets out there a lot. So okay, maybe this is bad for Perrin. I see that. And back to Kessel really quickly, just in case you don't remember why we were still high on Kessel. Just a reminder... He had 53 shots in March and scored one goal. That was a 1.9 shooting percentage. That's just an example of how bad his luck was, if you believe that shots are indicative of scoring opportunities and how good a player is, as opposed to how many goals they have, which is kind of a big thing on our podcast. So if you believe in the philosophy of these advanced stats, and especially like shooting percentage as sort of a very unadvanced advanced stat, I guess you would have to say that Kessel should have done better last year on Toronto. Now, hopefully, he'll be able to keep up that shot rate, and he'll be getting passes from better players. I don't know what that's worth, but yeah, it's going to be great for Kessel. I would say great for Hornquist. So Hornquist was already in a great situation, and we just need him to not get injured. Fingers crossed, Crosby and Malkin, obviously, are Crosby and Malkin. Good for Latang on the power play. Good for lots of people, but yeah, bad for anyone who might get bumped out of the top six and off of the top power play. I'm going to throw one more wild card in there, and that's Sergei Plotnikov, who was recently signed from the KHL by Pittsburgh. And there's been like a lot of murmuring about, oh, well, he's friends with Malkin, or Malkin can help him make the adjustment, and maybe they'll play together. So maybe he'll factor in the top six. Way too early to say, as most of what we're hearing is just rumblings and whatever. I don't think it's anything to put a ton of stock in, but maybe a name to keep in the back of your head. Okay, one last thing before we move on. You predicted that Kessel was going to be a point-per-game player on Toronto. Like, what is the ceiling now on Phil Kessel? Like, how high do you draft him? How much higher? If you were already pretty high on him before, has he gone up in your rankings, or does he just kind of stay where he is, and now you're just more confident that he'll be able to achieve that? I think he's going to be at least as good as he was before, and there's no reason for me to think that he's not a point-per-game player anymore. He was the three seasons prior to this one, no problem, and he's going to have more help in Pittsburgh to do that. And if you're looking at who he belongs with in terms of fantasy right-wingers and you're grouping in tiers, the top tier has guys like Corey Perry and Tarasenko and Tyler Sagan and Patrick Kane, and it also still has Phil Kessel. Maybe you bump him up a spot within that tier on your own list. That might be up to you personally where you rank him among those top five, but he is in that discussion. Oh, Alex Ovechkin. Of course, as well. Well, I feel like Ovechkin's almost in a tier of his own in like the top five people drafted overall. And then Kessel goes into that next tier with those guys that you mentioned. I actually had to stop myself from waxing poetic about Alex Ovechkin in this segment and remembering that this was about Phil Kessel because Ovechkin's goal scoring numbers are just otherworldly. If you look at what he's done compared to other wingers and centermen as well in the NHL over the last three, four, five, pick any time frame of years or seasons that you want. Alex Ovechkin is a beast. He's incredible. Cannot be overemphasized how good and how valuable he is in fantasy leagues. 
Yeah, well, we drafted him, I think it was fourth overall in our draft last year for our joint league, and it's a league that values goals more than assists. And in the end, I ranked all the players by their fantasy points using our league scoring, and Ovechkin was number one. So it was definitely a good pick. Hopefully he'll continue to do it next year. And back on track for a second, Elon, let's just take a look at what's left behind in Toronto with Phil Kessel leaving, because he's leaving well behind a centerman that depended fully and completely on him to score points as far as we can tell. I'm open to being proven wrong, but from what we've seen so far, that's the beliefs. Tyler Bozak, if you have him in a keeper league or any sort of format where like he's taking up a roster spot for you, you really might want to forget him or find like some Tyler Bozak truther who's going to take him <laughs> in a trade and you'll be able to get anything back. I would Come imagine on, Brian. no no one exists who is eyeing Tyler Bozak as a keeper even before this trade. But maybe like in a really deep league or something. All, all I'm saying is if you have Bozak somehow on your roster, I'm sorry, you're probably looking at very, very little value from him over the next year. As well as if you're looking at drafting him next year, I would not be counting on any kind of emergence from him without Phil Kessel. And he's not going to be in that top line center role anymore as the Leafs have made it fairly clear that Nazem Kadri is going to take on that spot. He's going to step into that first line center role on a team that's really likely to play many low scoring games with a really weak offensive roster and Mike Babcock at the helm. I imagine that's how they're going to control things by slowing down the game by playing kind of boring, low scoring hockey. And Nazem Kadri is going to be tasked with leading that. So he's going to be in that first line center position. I don't love his fantasy value this year as much as I did last year, just for the sole reason that there's not much around him. He's got James Van Riemsdyk, and Van Riemsdyk can, as we saw with Kessel, he can score still on his own as well, and together with Kadri, maybe the two of them can put up points. But beyond those two, amongst the least forward ranks, there is not a lot of fantasy relevance to be found with Kessel gone. Yeah, you make a good point. And Van Riemsdyk, especially as someone who was a 60-point player just a couple of years ago, 30-goal scorer, it's probably going to be tough for him to match that. I feel like at this point, Brian, have the Leafs become one of those teams? I guess we already talked about it last year. But yeah, like while Buffalo is becoming a team, and we'll talk about them soon, they're becoming a team where you kind of want to draft some of their players. The Leafs are starting to become a team where you're kind of scared to draft their players because you don't know where their goals are going to come from. But who knows? Maybe this is good for the Leafs. Take a year to rebuild. Hopefully they'll get a good draft pick. And maybe this is smart. You said that you're happy overall with the moves the Leafs have made. I know it's not exactly the scope of this podcast, but do you think this is a good trade for the Leafs, dumping this contract and getting these young players? Not so sure. The prospects they got from Pittsburgh, well, one is Scott Harrington, who was like a full-blown, highly touted prospect, I think as early as the start of last season, and his star kind of fell over the course of this year. And then Kasperi Kapanen could turn into a decent player, and Nick Spalling, well, we know who he is, and then they got some picks. I mean, the bottom line is that the Leafs are not looking to ice a very competitive roster next year. Their thoughts are on the long view. And I think the general sentiment, including mine, is that they probably deserved more for somebody as great as Phil Kessel. But hey, what's done is done. It looks like they're looking to move on in any way that they can. We'll keep an eye on if Phaneuf stays with the team for the rest of the year. But I imagine that the Leafs are amongst the bottom teams that you want to own a player from. Maybe Elon, before the season begins, before we get to our fantasy drafts, maybe we can like have a little ranking for the five worst teams to own a player from, or that we think will be the worst, and the five best teams that we think will be to own a player from. 
Yeah, that'd be fun. And spoiler, I'm probably going to pick Arizona. But okay, let's go to the next trade we want to talk about. Also, like, write at us. I'm curious to know if you agree with our ranking of what we think are the most blockbuster trades. But I think this one was pretty big. TJ Oshie got traded to the Washington Capitals for Brower and a pick and a goalie who I've never heard of, Phoenix Copley. But let's talk about Oshie and Brower, unless you have something to say about Phoenix Copley. Very cool first name. But TJ Oshie is a guy who we didn't talk about much on the podcast. Actually, Oshie and Brower, I feel like we didn't give them much time during last season of keeping Carlson, but their numbers kind of speak for themselves. Like, Oshie had 55 points in 72 games. That's almost a 63-point pace the year before he had over 60 points. So he's been a solid 60-point guy for a couple of years. Brower on the other side is lower. You know, he's more of a 40, 45-point player, but maybe he contributes fantasy-wise in terms of peripherals. So I'm definitely curious to hear your takes on if either of these guys goes up or down like I would think for TJ Oshie if he's gonna play with Alex Ovechkin that's pretty good right if it's Ovechkin Backstrom and Oshie you gotta have TJ Oshie in that case what do you hear is that something that's likely gonna happen the tough part about this part of the season is that we really want to know the answers to that but you know lines change from game to game let alone over the course of an entire summer where there hasn't been a training camp so we don't know There is Justin Williams on the right wing, so you have to figure he's going to factor in on one of the top two lines, and TJ Oshie will be on the other. Yeah, I feel like it's a real big crapshoot for Oshie because he goes from playing with Alex Steen and David Backus, which was very good line mates in St. Louis. So if he goes to play with Backstrom and Ovechkin, that's amazing. If he goes to play with Kuznetsov and Marcus Johansson, you know, not as good. But of course, there's also the power play to consider. So aside from even strength, you would hope that TJ Oshie could get himself into that top five, maybe with Justin Williams, Backstrom, and Ovechkin. John Carlson on the back end. Ooh, they're going to be competing with Pittsburgh for who has the best power play in the league, unless there's probably a bunch of other teams we could also name. But those are a strong five players for sure. No, I love what Washington has done to the top half of their roster. And let's just take a look, Elon. You mentioned where Oshie played in St. Louis. He was on that top line. But that top line had a very defensive role. Ken Hitchcock liked to deploy them defensively against the other team's top players. And in Washington, the lines are managed a little differently. And if Oshie factors into his new team's second line, that second line saw a lot more favorable usage than Oshie did on the first line in St. Louis. Hey, even the first line in Washington sees better deployment and better offensive opportunity than the first line in St. Louis did. That line was relied on to shut down other teams, to take possession against the other team's top players, and still put up points. And Oshie did an admirable job of doing that. I think he actually did end up getting a bit of a bad rap in St. Louis because they expected more than 55 or 60 points from their first liner and he might be more of a second line guy and if we look at his hero chart which is a tool developed by a guy named Dominic Gallimini he goes by Mimico Hero on Twitter a hero chart is like a really quick and super easy to understand visual of a player's production Oshi rated as a first liner in minutes played in primary assists but performed much more like a second liner in most other ways, like goal scoring and possession. So maybe the way that he was being used versus what his strengths are didn't exactly align. Hopefully he'll get a better chance to show off what he's capable of in Washington in an appropriate role for him, getting the right amount of minutes with the right amount of deployment in both zones. The one concern I have talking about how the top two lines in Washington were not tasked with as defensively heavy a load as they were in St. Louis, is that the third line in Washington took care of that defensive business really well. And that third line had Joel Ward 
Eric Fair and Brooks like on it. Now, Joel Ward has signed elsewhere. Eric Fair is still unsigned and looks like he might not be back with the team this year. Brooks like is still around, but I don't know if the rest of the Capitals lineup is as prepared to shoulder that burden as that very competent third line was able to do last season. So to summarize all that, essentially I started the segment to say that Oshie was moving into a better deployment situation in Washington because a lot was expected of him defensively in St. Louis, but Washington has lost their top defensive shutdown line, and maybe more of that is going to fall upon Washington's top six than it did last year. All right, so I guess we can't get too excited about the increased deployment possibilities, but we can still get excited about playing with Alex Ovechkin, who we already gushed about. So hopefully he gets there. This is the kind of situation where we'll probably be monitoring all year, just like we do every year. Who's playing with Backstrom and Ovechkin? Now there are some very tempting players in TJ Oshie and Justin Williams. If he gets there, will definitely be fantasy relevant as well. Evgeny Kuznetsov's development might also factor into how well Oshie does. I think for now, like he's settled nicely into a 55 60 point groove we'll see who he plays with and how they're doing and especially like you said if he gets power play time that could be really promising but for now I think it's safe to expect him to do about the same as he has in past years with a chance to get a few more points on top of that okay so sounds like you're pretty confident with 60 and maybe a shot at 65 70 would be amazing Okay, well, definitely an exciting guy to draft, that's for sure. I'm going to shut down your dreams of 7D right now. I'll be really surprised if that happens. All right, well, I don't know. I guess it's like 10 points is a lot. Like, you know, you think if he could get 60, 70's not too far, but I guess it is pretty far. Well, like I said, a lot of what he does on the ice looks more like what a second-line player is accustomed to doing than what a first-line player is accustomed to doing. All right, good. Good. (laughs) Thank you for shutting me down and bringing me back to reality. And, okay, speaking of players who we don't expect too many points from, on the other side, really quickly, Troy Brower. He's had 43 points in each of his last two seasons. Do you see any reason to believe he could get up to the 50-point mark, which I'd say is a more fantasy-relevant mark if you're not in a league that counts hits, and I know he's pretty good for hits? No, I don't see that happening for Troy Brower. I don't see this significantly improving his situation. In fact... He benefited from being on that Washington power play. He had 14 points last season on the power play, 21 the year before, 16 the year before that. And I feel like he might not factor as highly into St. Louis's depth chart as he did Washington's. And I know like he has this place amongst Pulis as a guy who's gone on a few runs here and there. And the lockout shortened season, that was actually his best season of his career. But aside from that, his career high is 43 points. I don't see that going up as an aging guy who's not known for his skating ability or his scoring ability or his playmaking ability. I imagine he hovers around a half point per game depending on the situation he's put in. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with you there when he's already put in so many seasons in the NHL. It'd be surprising to see him have such a big bump. Though it is interesting to keep track of like what's going to happen in St. Louis, right? If they're going to keep that Schwartz, Lederer, and Tarasenko line together, and I guess maybe there's no reason to think that they necessarily will do that, but maybe Tarasenko goes to the top line then, Brower maybe fits in on the second line. Like I, It'll be interesting to see what happens with their top six. But yeah, I agree that it'll be very unlikely for Brower to get on the top power play. And you mentioned Tarasenko, who is as of yet unsigned. And to me, actually, the trade looked weird from St. Louis's perspective. I'm not sure exactly what they were going for, trading for an older, less productive player. And, you know, the automatic thought was, well, they're making room for Tarasenko. They claimed that wasn't the case. And no more news about Tarasenko being closer to signing with the extra cap space that St. Louis has now. 
has come out. So I don't know what the deal is. I still totally expect him to start the season and finish the season for that matter in St. Louis. But hey, I don't know. Oh, man. Well, that would be crazy. That would be like a Boston move if they were to get rid of Tarasenko. So hopefully that won't happen. And speaking of Boston moves, I guess I've segued myself. We were planning to talk about someone else, but it was such a perfect segue. Let's just talk about Dougie Hamilton right now, because that was another huge trade. It happened so long ago already. I feel like we already talked about it on the patron cast. So what is there else to say? But I guess we do still have some listeners that are not patrons. Hopefully we could change your mind at some point. But yeah, Dougie Hamilton goes to Calgary and it looked for a little bit like maybe he'd go to Edmonton and then that didn't happen. All of a sudden now Calgary is pretty stacked on D. If you take a look back there, you've got Giordano and Brody and then Weidman who had a great end of the year and now you throw in Dougie Hamilton and I haven't even yet mentioned Chris Russell who was like the million blocks guy for that one game and had a pretty decent season so it's a good back end over in Calgary and I'm very curious to know now does this help Dougie Hamilton he was like the main guy in Boston especially when Chara was injured now I guess maybe this move by the way is good for a guy like Tori Krug who doesn't have Hamilton in his way for getting those top minutes as Chara ages but let's stick with Calgary for now Is this good for Dougie Hamilton or not so good? Well, the thing with Dougie Hamilton is that I think any situation for him, he can make a good one. Last year, he didn't necessarily start in the Bruins' top pairing or maybe even the top four. We didn't know exactly where he'd fit in. But he had one of the greatest seasons for a player his age that we've seen in recent memory. He did a lot of things that we expect a really experienced high-end NHL defenseman to do. So it's exciting no matter where he plays. The one thing in Calgary that's for sure is that there is that pairing of Giordano and Brody already well entrenched in the lineup. So we'll see where he fits in. I imagine it'll be more of a top four role than a top two. However, Mark Giordano, if you're looking long term, is hitting his early 30s. And as he ages, Dougie Hamilton is going to be asked to step up into that role that Giordano currently occupies And from what we've seen, he will be well capable to do so. Huge win from Calgary. Huge loss from Boston. We talked about it on the Patreon cast about like how their whole offseason has been weird and questionable. And this was, well, the beginning of the end in that sense for them. At least we think so. We'll see what happens over the next few years. But not loving what we're seeing brewing in Boston. Oh, God. Yeah, and of course, there was also the trade of Lucic over to the Kings. We'll talk about that maybe on a future episode. Not big enough. Too many big trades. We can't even talk about Milan Lucic getting traded. But yeah, Boston. We had actually a very interesting discussion on the patron cast, I thought. I thought that was the brightest spot was when we talked about Boston. I sort of got turned around where everyone was so down on them. We were talking about Tuka Rask and what's his fantasy value moving forward, and everyone's really down now. They've traded Hamilton. You know, they're in big trouble. Now I think maybe Rask... You know, I still think that Boston's a pretty good team. So, but Brian disagreed and like it, it was interesting. So, you know, if you sign up to be a patron, you could have access to all previous patron casts. So check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. You could support us for like a dollar a month right now and get access to all of our patron casts. And you could hear our discussion about the Bruins. But if not, we're going to definitely be talking about them. And Tuka Rask will be discussed in our goal. Smorgoliesborg or whatever. You never say that right. Smorgoliesborg. Smorgoliesborg. We'll definitely be talking about Raskin, whether he's still in the top tier or free falls. But okay, Dougie Hamilton, great news for him. Last year, he had 42 points in 72 games. And sorry, I should say Calgary, good news for them. I'm going to ask you now. Hamilton had 42 points in 72 games. Do you think he's going to be able to get like 50, 55 points next season? 
I think one day for sure, and I guess calling back to how I started the conversation, we're going to have to see exactly how his role shakes out, how much power play time he gets, how much even strength time he gets with the team's top line. That's going to be a big way of determining of it. I'll tell you he's capable of it. Like if he plays, say, similar role to Duncan Keith or Roman Yosey, maybe not this year, but in the coming years, right now, it looks like he can do it. Like I would definitely have him happily as a 40, 45-point guy with the chance for gravy on top of that. And yeah, Calgary is an up-and-coming team. We also had a question on the patron cast of what all this means for a guy like Jonas Hiller, if he's going to be the starting goalie there, though now they just signed Ramo. But they'll definitely be an interesting team to track next season. Definitely not one of the teams that I think is going to land in our bottom five of teams you want to own players on. But okay, let's keep the train going. Let's move on to the next big trade. And we talked about him at the top of the show, but Brandon Saad, after winning the Stanley Cup, having this great role in the playoffs, all of a sudden he's shipped out to Columbus in probably the trade that involved the most players of all of these like major trades. Like uh, Columbus also got a couple of guys I never had heard of. Maybe you had Alex Broadhurst and Michael Pagliotta. And on Chicago, they get a couple of players. They get Artem Anisimov, who's been sort of one of those bubble guys fantasy-wise. Like He always seems to be either a top free agent or someone who's recently been dropped. And then Marco Dano, who I didn't know much about. And then last year, right near the end, he really had an amazing end of the year. Was almost a point-per-game player right at the end of the season. Maybe helped some people win their fantasy championships. Then a couple of other guys, Jeremy Morin, who goes back to the Blackhawks. But okay, Brian, let's start with Brandon Saad. Is this good for him? It almost seems like a TJ Oshie situation. Like, if he's going to play with... Ryan Johansson, and I guess Nick Foligno, who you weren't as high on when we did our episode about players who had great years and maybe they won't do as well. You said maybe you don't think he'll do as well, but still, like, it's a pretty good line to be on. Of course, he was on lines with guys like Patrick Kane. So overall, what do you think about Brandon Saad's fantasy value after this move? Well, with Saad, it's not so much a matter of who he's going to play with, although that is going to be important. It's also a matter of who he's leaving behind. And in Chicago, he played with two of the top possession drivers in the league, and Jonathan Taze and Marion Hosa. The ability of those two guys to get the puck and generate offensive chances cannot be overemphasized. And as many players would playing with them, Saad saw a huge swing in his scoring numbers and puck control numbers when he was not on the ice with him, when he's on the ice with somebody else, and actually that same effect holds true with and without Duncan Keith as well, for that matter. So, who does Brandon Saad become without Marion Hossa and without Jonathan Taves? And who does he become with a maturing Ryan Johansson and a curiosity kind of player in Nick Felino? And this is the big question. I don't have a definitive answer because I would be like, well, Felino and Johansson, that's rough. They had not the greatest possession numbers in the world, but they both broke 70 points last year. So we'll see exactly how it all works out. But I am definitely warier of Saad today as a Blue Jacket than I was of Saad last week as a Blackhawk. Yeah, I definitely hear you. And the thing is, like, Saad had a decent season last year. Not an amazing season, right? 52 points in 82 games. Fantasy relevant, but not someone that you draft in your first few rounds. So a lot of his hype for next year was just on the fact that he's still young and he's maturing and he's, you know, now become a fixture in the top six in Chicago. Now we go to him on Columbus and he becomes a big question mark again. And I think that you'd hope he could get 50 points again, but to make that jump to 70 points, and we weren't even sure if he'd be able to do that on Chicago. Maybe it's a lot to expect for him to do on Columbus. 
Yeah, it's funny because I definitely don't give him as much credit moving to Columbus. But again, it's like Johansson and Felino both had 70 points. Why can't Brandon Saad if he's as good as we think he is? And he probably is about as good as we think, but we're going to see what kind of player he is when he's not, well, not being carried. I don't think that's the appropriate word, but when he doesn't have the advantage that he had in Chicago in Hosa and Taves. I'd still expect good things from him. Like he's going to be given a ton of opportunities to succeed in Columbus, not just this year, but they signed him for six. They're obviously heavily invested considering what they gave away. I imagine he gets every opportunity possible to produce and take on a big role with that team this year. And I feel like 60 points is probably an easy projection. 65-70, where he falls around there is going to be the interesting thing to watch. I'm not going to pretend to know. The one thing that I can tell you is I just took a look at who Johansson and Felino played with last season the most. And Scott Hartnell was one of their most consistent line mates. And Scott Hartnell played better away from them than he did with them in terms of possession numbers, which usually, you know, will help a player put points on the board, although it's not tightly correlated. But the point I'm trying to make is that Scott Hartnell was a better player in some respects away from those two than he was with them. We'll see what Brandon Saad does to help them or if he feels that effect too next year. Wow, a lot of things just there. I thought we were going to move on, but now you've triggered something in me. So first of all, you're saying 60 points is the easy projection. He's never had 60 points before. So to say that Saad now is a 60-point easy projection, I feel like you're even being overly optimistic. I feel like maybe 50 to 55 is the easy projection, and then anything above that is sort of in no man's land. So would you believe that's where I started with Saad? Like, after the trade was done, I'm like, well, you know, career high 52 points, and he's on an upswing, so maybe 55, 60 would be reasonable. And, like, part of me still wants to stick to that, but I think that's also the conservative part of me that wants to do that. I feel like he did get plenty of opportunities in Chicago, but he's going to be asked to do more in Columbus, and I'm hoping he responds positively. Maybe it is a stretch, Elon. Like, I think 55 to 60 points is probably the safe projection. But I tried to have a little fun here. And we've got one more blockbuster trade that we wanted to cover this week. Brian, let's talk about Ryan O'Reilly finally moving away from the Avalanche after all of those contract disputes, and he goes to Buffalo. The same team that got Evander Kane in the middle of the season, the same team that picked up Robin Leonard recently. So the Sabres made a lot of moves. We were already talking about how this team is looking like they'll be improved for next year. Then they go ahead and pick up Ryan O'Reilly, this up-and-coming star who's already been a 60-point player, and who knows where his ceiling is. So overall, the trade was O'Reilly, Jamie McGinn, and the Avalanche got Zadarov, Grigorenko, and then a pick and another prospect. So definitely Buffalo gets the high-end talent today. Maybe Colorado's got some future good players. Maybe you could let us know about that. But what do you think about this in terms of Ryan O'Reilly's value? Like I said, he's put up great numbers in the past. He had 64 points two seasons ago, 55 points last season. But of course, a lot of Colorado was crappy for a lot of last season. And near the end of the year, O'Reilly really did pick things up and was a great guy to have on your team down the stretch. Normally, I'd think going to Buffalo, that means it's going to hurt his numbers. But I said the same thing about Evander Kane, and you gave reasons to be optimistic. Of course, maybe Evander Kane was in a worse situation in Winnipeg than O'Reilly was in Colorado. So what do you think? Is O'Reilly going to have a chance at getting 60 points or higher in Buffalo next year? 
You know, that's that's a tough one, just because we have so little idea of how this Buffalo team is going to look with, like, a total overhaul. It's not like a Pittsburgh situation where you have a new guy in the top six who's previously established himself as a top-line winger, or even in Washington with Oshie and Williams that we talked about moving in there. This is, like, a totally new-looking team with roles as of yet undefined. I don't expect them at all to play or have systems similar to previous years because they have a new coach as well, and I think a new outlook on how they're going to compete in the league. So I feel like it's really difficult to call, and my points on Evander Kane from a couple episodes ago still stand when we talk about Buffalo in terms of uncertainty. Here's what I believe he can do. Will Buffalo be ready to support him? In doing that in 2015-16, that's yet to be seen. So I'll say the same for O'Reilly. I think O'Reilly is a solid two-way player. I mean, we expect him to put up points. Like, I think 60 points is a fair expectation on this unknown Buffalo team. Could be more, could be less, depending on how offensively minded they decide to play. But I think where his value comes in a lot, like you'll hear a lot of hype about him, but just understand that a lot of the hype is because he's really good in his own end facing top players on the other team. So everything you hear about Ryan O'Reilly, it's going to be really good, but it's not 100% offense good. It's probably a pretty good split between what he can do on offense and what he can do on defense. He certainly is not impotent offensively. He had 64 points a couple years ago. He had 55 points last year, and that was on a tough luck Colorado team where things just weren't working out for part of the season. Nilan, we saw you and I firsthand. We had him on and off of our team for a little while, and he went on some big runs last year. Hopefully, Buffalo is a good enough team for him to be able to flourish and put some of those points up again. Yeah, well, I'm just going to throw some names at you. Who knows how Buffalo will be, like you say. But if we think about who could be in Buffalo's top six, all of a sudden now we've got Evander Kane, Ryan O'Reilly, Jack Eichel, who's going to be a rookie, so we don't know how good he'll be. But, you know, lots of hype around him. Then, you know, we still have Matt Molson and Tyler Ennis, who I think are really good players, or at least pretty good players. And maybe Matt Molson could be really good in the right situation, as we saw over on the Islanders. So, you know, you have the talent there that they should be able to score goals. Of course, you need to still have some support. Who knows what's going on on defense, where I guess Zach Bogosian is their top guy on the back end. And definitely you'd want to have something better than that. So, Buffalo, like you say, is a really tough team to predict, but they do have the potential to be able to score some goals, which is not something we've been able to say about the Buffalo Sabres for a long, long time. Yeah, well, that's the big question. How much heavy lifting is O'Reilly going to have to do? Is he going to have to really take on like a totally defensive role because of that sort of weak back end? I mean, they did sign Carlo Koliakovo during free agency, so maybe that'll help. <laughs> yeah, Detroit got Green, the Oilers got Sekera, Colorado got Boschman. And Buffalo got Carlo Caliacovo, so I guess it's all even. They'll be a fun team to watch. They actually will be, though. There's so many guys like Evander Kane and Robin Lehner that we're waiting to see what they can do at their full potential. And next year might be our first look at them being given enough responsibility and rope to show that off. Yeah, and you bring up Robin Lehner. There were actually a lot of moves involving goaltenders. I think we spent most of the patron cast that we did last week talking about the goalie moves. We're not going to have time for that this week. Maybe we'll get to some next week. But if you can, check out the patron cast. And of course, we'll have our goal smorgasbord. Our goalie smorgasbord. It's like smorgasbord, but you add Oli after the G. I feel like normally I could say it, but when I'm doing the podcast, I get so excited. I can't say any complicated words. But, you know, the quick rundown, like we've like got Koliakovo. Niemi to Dallas. Koliakovo, it's tough. It's a lot of syllables. 
Like I was saying, Niemi went to Dallas, Leonard went to the Sabres, Eddie Lack to the Hurricanes, Talbot to the Oilers. Like we definitely have some goalie moves to discuss and it'll be very interesting to see where our tiers end up and even just who we think will be the starting goalies on a lot of these teams. Man, I can't wait for the season to start, but this has been a lot of fun talking about these moves. The only thing better than this could be actually discussing NHL action that's happened and fantasy action that's happened. We'll have to wait till October for that. But Brian, we still have lots of moves to talk about over the next month. I can't wait. But we're going to wait anyway. Next episode will be out in two weeks and we will cover more of the free agent signings and all the goalie movement that happened in the first week. And maybe there'll be a little more. Who knows? Yeah, we'll see. And before we sign off, I already mentioned before, if you want to help support the podcast, you could sign up to be a patron of Keeping Carlson. And as a patron of Keeping Carlson, you get access to our patron-only Facebook group, which is starting to heat up a little bit now as there's some moves. And of course, as drafts are upcoming, I think we're going to do some fun things there. Maybe talk about tiering. Maybe we could all share our tiers. We're going to have the patron-only fantasy pool which we'll give more details about as the season approaches. Then there's the monthly patron casts, which you get to join in and ask us questions, and you have access to all the old patron casts. So if you're interested in becoming a patron, you could sign up for any amount. By the way, that offer does expire when the season starts. I hope people are aware of that. Then we'll go back to the $5 minimum to get all of those fun perks. But for now, you could test it out. Any amount of money, go to keepingcarlson.com slash patron, and we really appreciate it. It helps support the show. And we also just love having all these people in the Facebook group to chat with. Okay, anything else I need to talk about, Brian? I don't think so. Do you have any credits? Read us the credits. Let's cue the outro music. Okay, this show was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Own the Puck, ESPN, TSN, and I think that's it this week. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sand.